0: Welcome to the OneSignal podcast, where we aim to educate listeners on product, industry, and best practices to build a great customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. We've got a great guest today for you, Vice President of Engineering at OneSignal, Matt Pilar. Matt joined OneSignal in March after spending the past years as an engineering manager at Facebook for real-time infrastructure and core data. And previous to that, ran an engineering a CTO at a messaging task management startup called Red Booth. I'm excited to have Matt talk about his experience building engagement tools for Red Booth, supporting real-time communications at Facebook, and his thoughts on the journey ahead for OneSignal. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, very excited to be here. Appreciate you having me. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, so you grew up in Canada, attended Waterloo, and just kind of jump into it. I'm I'm curious what brought you to the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So my educational background is actually in electrical engineering. So I spent a couple of years working at a very low level, working on printed circuit boards, FPGAs back in Canada. And I just happened to actually attend a Y Combinator recruiting event and met up with a number of Y Combinator startups back in 2012. Two sort of were attracted to me and, and I was excited about them. One of them was a company called ArrowFS, and then the other one was PagerDuty, actually, the, the popular incident management platform. So I, I pursued getting a job with both of these folks and and I'm Fortunate to have received offers from both. I ended up choosing to work at AeroFest and, and made the jump to come down to California back in 2012. So sort of the lure of startups got me down here.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. And was messaging like a key component of it? Are you excited about that?
1: At the time, I was pretty focused on infrastructure and distributed systems. So that's why PagerDuty was attractive because it was incident management and it was really focused on core infra. ArrowFS was also focused on infrastructure and distributed systems. They were building this distributed file and share product. So it was sort of like appealing to the technical interest that I had. And, and we eventually sort of pivoted to messaging over time. Uh, but immediately it was more about like infrastructure.
0: Yeah. And this is, we didn't talk about this pre-show, but I'm curious to get your, your quick take. You know, Waterloo is an incredible university. Yeah. Um, and actually has an awesome history, right? BlackBerry was created out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet I don't know if enough people realize its importance. Like, do you feel like it gets enough due here in the Valley? I actually think Waterloo is
1: pretty well recognized in the Bay Area, uh, especially within the engineering community. It might not be sort of as flashy of a label, and it might not be as recognized for folks that aren't in engineering. But a lot of Waterloo grads actually end up in the Bay Area working in tech. See a lot of them in big tech, a lot of them in startups. I think anecdotally, of the 200 some folks in my class, I think over 50 of them ended up in the Bay Area. So there are a good number of Waterloo students getting down here, and and you see. Through the internship program that Waterloo has, a lot of folks coming down, even when they're in school. So Waterloo actually has a four-month-on, four-month-off, five-year undergraduate model. So you do a number of internships and you graduate with two years of work experience. So folks typically spend their sort of senior internships down in the Bay Area working for the working for the really, really highly sought-after tech companies.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Now, I've, I've had really, really good positive experiences with with Waterloo grads and it actually had some interns... At previous jobs, so right on. Um, it's impressive. So uh, let's get into some of the the context. you've built customer engagement for a startup. Uh, you manage the world's largest messaging infrastructure. Are you are part of the the team there doing that at at Facebook with all the Facebook entities, and now you're building a platform to empower all customer engagement uh, at at OneSignal. Can you talk about kind of your journey of the past years with messaging infrastructure in general?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. It sort of started out with building AeroFS, which, which was this startup that I came to the Bay Area to join. We were building an on premise file sync product. So it was sort of like a Dropbox alternative, but really focused on security, availability, and efficiency on prem. So it's kind of a funny story, actually. We, we were building AeroFS and, and really heavily focusing on collaboration within the workplace. And so we actually saw a need to complement file sync with messaging for our customer base, which is how we ended up building messaging. And actually, it was around 2014 when we were really building out this functionality, we actually built a push product, not a product that we sort of sold or anything like this, but we built a service that, that did push because you know folks like OneSignal were not as widely utilized at the time. And so we actually had this need to proxy in front of Google and Apple. So anyway, as we were building this file sync product, we eventually sort of combined the best of Dropbox and Slack for our enterprise customers and ended up building push and messaging and the whole gambit.
0: That's cool. And uh, what, when you thought about building, you know, and and it doesn't have to just be pushed, but just in general messaging for Arrow FS and yeah. obviously later Redbooth, like what were the considerations in your thing about building and and what were the challenges you kind of had, you know, the forks in the road you had to sort of make decisions on?
1: Yeah. So obviously when you're thinking about messaging, you're thinking about high availability, you're thinking about low latency, and you're thinking about great level of efficiency. So you sort of need all of these things across the board. With AeroFest, it actually was even harder because we had to build it and ship it on-prem. So sort of like box it up, put it in a service, make sure it's highly available, and make sure that you have a great disaster recovery strategy. And then basically, we put it into a VM image and then we shipped it off to our customers. So customers like Bloomberg and Palantir were installing our our systems and, and making sure that they were sort of up. So it's funny, actually, you know, once we... Once we were able to do that, actually having a hosted cloud service became quite easy because when you have to harden something such that you can hand it off to somebody else and keep it alive, well, that's the level of difficulty that is sort of above and beyond what you would expect with cloud. But, uh, but we were able to get it done and, and eventually we ended up offering a cloud version of the software as well. And that sort of dovetails into, into my time at Facebook. But uh, yeah, it was really, really interesting. That was a pretty significant constraint with on-prem. Uh, making sure that that you had that HA and, and DR when you didn't have hands on the box all the time.
0: Yep. So you mentioned there, it's a good segue into to Facebook. Uh, what got you to Facebook? And then we can kind of dive into the specifics of of that experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. So AeroFest was eventually acquired by a company called Redbooth. Uh, and so we sort of took our file sync and messaging components and, and sort of combined it with the task managing product that was the foundation of Redbooth. So that was a really great opportunity to take The messaging technology that we built and sort of apply it to a greater level of scale. And that was just something that was really highly compelling and interesting for me. So that is eventually one of the one of the pieces of what got me working at Facebook. So I became connected to Facebook and started chatting with them about real-time infrastructure. So with real-time infra, we're we're talking about notifications, but we're also talking about all the in-app updates that happen when you're looking at Facebook. So if you're looking at a screen and you do anything. And and you see an update that's not pulled to refresh, then odds are that was running through the infrastructure that I was supporting at Facebook, and so I was just really compelled by the challenges of that, and I wanted to understand management best practices at scale and infrastructure challenges at massive scale, and so that's really what got me in the door for Facebook.
0: That's awesome. When you think about uh, or just looking back at that experience, you know what were the. The different technical approaches you had to take, you know, because you'd had this startup experience yeah. and scaling that, and working with some really large organizations, right? You mentioned right. Uh, Palantir and Bloomberg, but how did that pale or change, or you know, what were the challenges versus the world's largest messaging kind of uh, network of of individuals across the globe?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great great question. So I think the one of the things that really jumps out at me when I reflect on it is is the build versus buy equation is very drastically different for a large company versus a small one like like the startup that I was working on. With Facebook, Facebook effectively builds everything. Facebook builds its own hardware, in fact they open source their hardware specifications. They build their own containerization tools, they build their own IDE. Everything at Facebook is homegrown. And that's because Facebook has really really specific needs for their sort of massive level of scale. Meanwhile, when we were at a startup, we were dealing with a pretty substantial amount of scale as well, but there's a really really active Build versus buy consideration because there are so many great world-class open-source tools and and paid tools available to sort of simplify so that you can focus on your core value prop. So that was a pretty interesting difference between Facebooks, the Facebooks of the world, and and startups.
0: So one quick question on that: like, did you see areas where even a Facebook, for example, maybe made sense to do like not take that we're going to build everything from scratch, but we're going to build like our core value prop versus I'm going to yeah. build everything.
1: Yeah, so Facebook sort of in my opinion sort of fell into this model where they almost didn't even think about the build versus buy anymore because they just got so large they just built everything and a lot of that stuff was awfully silly to build. You know, every uh, maybe this is a bad example, but everything from like calendars to like, you know, navigation systems within Facebook campus. Like these are things that you can buy off the shelf that it's not really a social networking platform that's that's not the core value of the company, but we were building everything and you, you know, know, some of the tools are are great because they're they're catering to specific needs, but some of them were also just kind of like poorly done when there are really really high quality ones on the market. So it was interesting. You have, you sort of have this build versus buy blind spot just because of the sort of nature of the budgets and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, And that's sort of a philosophy with some companies. I know Tesla takes a hardcore stance on that too, and, and it's really hard to get any third party systems, even in the accounting side. So yeah, it's interesting when you think about or, or just what were the product challenges you encountered at that level yeah. of scale.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, part of the challenge here is that the sheer magnitude of, of users and customers and people using the platform means that analytics and reporting tools and massive amounts of data, that's just the way of life, right? You have to balance that with great UX research, obviously, but analytics and reporting was just 100% part of the day to day. So, one of the really interesting components of Facebook is that there are, are just a huge quantity of A/B tests. So if you look at your Facebook experience and you compare it to somebody sitting next to you, odds are you're in 100 different A-B tests as compared to that other person because there are just so many experiments going on at any given time. So you have to really be data-driven and you have to be really analytical and thinking about all these sorts of things. So that's kind of like part of the culture and mindset that you need to have. But what was really great about that is that we had really, really excellent tools here. So this is maybe one of the examples where it is the core value of the company. And so the build makes sense really really excellent experimentation systems really really excellent ways to measure the impact of a change excellent gatekeepers excellent ab te- excellent alpha beta testing all that sort of thing
0: that's cool when you th- you know what did you learn there what was like the infrastructure and reliability like what were the things growing that that were great lessons for you that you will take on in the future of your career
1: yeah yeah so some of the things that that i learned actually were were just part of the Facebook history as well as my sort of personal experience at Facebook. So every every growing infrastructure company that has like a heavy, heavy utilization, they have these growing pains, right? But some of the Facebook ones were were really, really like humorous, but also kind of like great lessons for understanding how to grow and adapt infrastructure. So it's it's silly things from like making sure that you have the right roles to crazy stuff like Making sure that you have somebody that's on call when a team goes on an offsite. We once had an offsite where we all went to a park and we didn't have cell service and then our service went down and we were unreachable and somebody had to literally drive to the park and get us.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, How far away were you from the campus?
1: It was, it was like a 45 minute drive or something like that. So eventually, oh, wow. like, okay. somebody comes like running over and, and they say, You know, oh, we need you to get this back online. Oh my goodness. So then we like drive a block get the laptop out of the car, and then fix the service. <laughs> That's
0: um, hilarious. That's awesome.
1: So, but yeah, I mean, like you translate that into, into, I think, some like best practices that I'll keep. One of them is really making sure that you get your KPIs right the first time. So things like uptime and alerts and measuring those and, and drilling them down, they really matter. So defining lower level thresholds for what's acceptable and, and having that SLA at the top level and having early alerting is really, really important. Boundaries of responsibilities are big. With startups, you've just got one system and and you've got that ownership and accountability for that one system. And that's fantastic. But with bigger companies, you have tons of systems that interact with one another. So You have really, really clear boundaries and delineation of responsibility. So with Facebook, we we knew absolutely what the handshake and, and contract points were between the different systems. And you know exactly who to call if some sort of dependency of yours goes down, right? And that's all codified within the software itself. So you know exactly who's on the on-call rotation and that sort of thing. So just kind of like growing up and having those best practices can be really, really useful. And in fact, we've implemented some of these things at OneSignal already since I've joined. Retrospectives are big. So retrospective, retrospective, retrospective. You know, thinking about what went wrong and how to iteratively improve as part of the culture of the team is big stuff. And then blameless culture is also really good. We actually had a really, really strong culture in this way. We're not really thinking about blaming folks when things go down, we're thinking about how to improve the systems so that they're more robust, so that folks can't break things. Um, actually, I, this is another good Facebook story. This was years back, but there was once an intern that took down Facebook.com with a bad code change. And I think it was within their first couple of weeks and they released this code change and it takes down the whole site, right? Intern didn't get fired, intern gets hired full time, Works at the company for many years has a great career and a great story, but the culture of the company was it 's not the intern's fault. The systems were not robust enough. How the heck was it possible for this intern to be able to ship this piece of code and break our systems? Clearly, we don 't have the correct q a and clearly we need to improve so that was sort of like this whole blameless culture thing, which I think is great
0: yeah, that is a cool story actually. They should hype that up more as a as a uh, cause especially in a in a world where what was the mantra like? Uh, move fast and break things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it was move fast and break things, and then eventually it was just move fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I saw. I I remember the cultural change because they didn't want to break anything anymore. Right. Um, right.
1: It was. Uh, I think like the the less sexy version of that was move fast with stable infrastructure, which just didn't have as much zing. So they just went with move fast. But I think the spirit of it was. We want to create really, really excellent platforms and tools for product developers to be able to move quickly and release experiments and try things out. But we want the core pieces of the infrastructure to be really, really solid and, and unflinching uh, you know, in the face of like you know, big problems and that sort of thing. So like preventing cascading failures, being like really resilient. That was all really core to infrastructure. So move fast actually sort of meant something a little different on product teams as compared to infrastructure teams.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So there's almost a subjectivity based on function and/or role.
1: Yeah, exactly right.
0: Yeah. So awesome scale, awesome experience dealing with really large organization, and again, the the largest number of users in in a single aggregated sense. So massive scale there. What brought you to OneSignal? Like, what was the compelling event that got you to the company?
1: Yeah, sure. So I've always had that sort of startup spirit. So I think that I think that it was a matter of the when, but not if that I would return to startups. Really, really enjoyed my time at Facebook, but I just love the, I love the impact of startups. Uh, so I started, I started looking around and initially the the domain and the, the domain overlap is obviously sort of really, really useful with OneSignal. I have a good amount of experience working on similar technologies. And, and really like OneSignal's thought leadership and push attracted me to the company. And so I connected with our CEO, George, last year. And that was kind of what got me in the door. But I think what really, what really kept me sort of engaged and, and ultimately what pushed me across the line got me to commit to joining OneSignal was the people. I have a huge amount of respect for the founding team, for George and Long. Really appreciate the energy and thought that they put into the culture of the team. And then also just the engineering bar just continued to be really, really high. So the engineers on the team are extremely, extremely competent, really, really smart folks, just folks that I'm delighted to be working with. So that's ultimately what pushed me over the line.
0: That's Awesome. I agree uh, the culture and particularly the the founders. How do you see the infrastructure growing right so we're we're currently you know when this gets published, we'll be close to announcing a new milestone in terms of user accounts, so just the the volume of developers and users using the product yeah. um, we're hitting kind of new records in terms of growth and usage in terms of just message uh, daily messages and and whatnot. How do you see that evolving and bringing in kind of your past experience? in keeping us ahead of the curve so that we don't have interns taking down the uh, (laughs) the solution.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah, so I think the the growth demand will come from sort of two areas. One is just the sort of natural growth that the business is seeing now. So we're going to see, and I was calculating this with Joe, our CTO, just based on projections, we're going to see a 5x increase in traffic in three years just based on the current utilization of the platform. So that is obviously one, one area that you can spend a ton of energy focusing on. But I actually think that there's more to it than that because we are thinking about different experiences on the platform and we're thinking about how we can increase the value that we're providing to customers. Inherently, what that does is it increases the complexity of the application. So when you increase the complexity of the application, then you increase the throughput demands on the underlying infrastructure components as well. So again, we actually saw this at Facebook too. So if you see with Facebook at one point, Facebook had a sum like 2x increase in users over a five-year period, but they actually had a 10x increase in throughput requirements, right? Because the apps just got a lot more complex. Again, this is over five years. So we're thinking about this model and we're thinking about our three-year plan with one signal, And we've got this expected 5x increase just in traffic. And we, you know, we've also got this complexity increase. And right? so we're talking about at least 10x over three years, right? which is which is going to be a massive challenge. In the last three years, I think it was some like 24 or 25x in throughput. So it's probably even more than 10. That's a pretty massive quantity to consider. So how are we thinking about it? We're thinking about it from a number of perspectives, from the current technology stack to the future technology stack, how do we want to evolve the technology? But then of course, how we want to evolve the team as well. How do we grow the team sort of linearly, but expand our platform exponentially? That's kind of the crux of what we need to achieve, right? So we're thinking about, bringing on really great cyber reliability engineers to complement some of the product developers on the team. We're thinking about how to scale our current solutions. So we're sort of utilizing Postgres under the hood, and we've written some blog posts about that. So how do we scale that to 10x? But how can we sort of reduce our load on those systems by utilizing other things like column stores or key value stores or other things that don't have as much rigidity and sort of like ACID compliance and that sort of thing? So we're thinking about it holistically across the board. And I think that it's going to require some interesting evolution of our data model, interesting evolution of how we build and manage our services as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Matt, it's been an incredible three months working with you. The energy you've brought to the team, the experience you brought to the team around real-time Infra, and just, it's been, I don't know, it's been a, a really nice infusion of positivity, excitement for where we're going and headed, so really enjoy. I've been working with you and I appreciate you being a, a guest on the, on the show. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hopefully we'll do it again soon. Cool.
0: Well, hey, if you enjoy what we're talking about, please subscribe to the One Signal Podcast at your preferred podcast directory. You can find it at Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, and many others. So please do it then. Otherwise, have an awesome day. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.